0: Good, we're going. Alright. <clears throat> the text for today is first Corinthians fourteen, one through twenty. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played? unless there's a distinction in the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of language in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If they then do not grasp meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me, so what is with you? Since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret, that they may interpret what they say. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, so what should all he do? I shall pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. For the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be like infants, but in your thinking, be like adults. So we've talked, uh, uh, I don't know, we were, I was just joking, maybe seven or eight uh, uh, sermons in this series so far around uh, <clears throat> who it is and how it is that we understand the Holy Spirit to be ministering to us, with us, among us, moving us forward, Uh, how we understand it to be uh, God in its own right, uh, a member of the Trinity and simultaneously distinctive and uh, looking at the ways that it moves in the church and looking at the ways that especially Paul looked at how it moves. And as you all recall, we've had, I don't know, like seven or eight principles. The Spirit is the freedom of uh, the Spirit of freedom. The Spirit is the freedom of truth. The Spirit brings maturity. The spirit moves like a fire if we let it if we don't hinder it it'll spread and 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 do beautiful things that uh we have to understand it to be a person uh that it fully like uh the other members of the godhead and having the same characteristics of creating the world loving us ministering to us and being with us and we've kind of looked at that in, in as it's developed especially in paul's letters to figure out and to try and capture some of that same sense that uh folks in Paul's time did, of, uh, of wondering at the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit as it moves in the church. So today, uh, we'll talk about, <clears throat> I think, one of my favorite additions to the different ways that we might think about principles around the Spirit. Today, I want to talk about the Spirit as a home builder, the Spirit as a home builder. So let's get right into the text. So 14 starts with uh, follow the way of love. The word for follow there is dioklete, and it means chase after. So he's not just saying like, you know, put yourself on the path toward love. Paul's saying that when we think about the question of how the Holy Spirit is manifest in our midst, we need to chase after the way of love. And of course, love here is, you might not be surprised, as we always see associated with the Spirit, is agape. That whatever is about to follow, whatever he's about to talk about, he's going to talk about Fully throwing yourself into a selfless and self-giving love. And then he says, desire the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And this word for eager there, I don't know, it doesn't just mean eager. Like, I don't know, when you think of someone who's eager, like someone who, an eager patient follows the instructions a doctor gives them, or an eager student is taking notes, the word Paul uses here is more than eager. It means, like, be boiling with. So be boiling with, in, in, in your desire for, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the translation gifts of the Spirit there, I have to be honest, is a little weird. It's one of those things that we talked about maybe two, three weeks ago when you, we say that the translators kind of translate in a vision of what the Holy Spirit's about. The, the Greek word there is, does not say gifts of the Spirit, it just says pneumatica. So be boiling for the things of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, there are two things I want to take from the beginning here. One, we can't understand what Paul's doing here without understanding why we need to uh, uh, pursue the path of agape, why we need to see agape as the main principle, and then I want to talk a little bit about prophecy. So it's easy for us, especially, I don't know, we're an evangelical Christian church. Like, when we say something's about love, everyone's like, yeah, obviously the whole gospel is about love. Everything's about love. Why is it exactly that Paul is invoking the principle of love here to deal with this problem. The specific problem in this context was that folks were running around in Corinth and some of them spoke in tongues and they were kind of making a big deal out of it and so you'd go into the service and everyone was speaking in tongues and well basically it looked like people were trying to show off their spiritual gifts for the sake of acting like they were better than other folks and paul didn't like that very much because he thought that a church worship setting that was about putting the focus on yourself or the focus on the power of your own spiritual gift well he thought that was a pretty messed up way of thinking about what worship together looked like since the whole goal of, of, of worship is for us to work to get worship together in freedom and truth to show our love for each other and our love for god so <clears throat> paul is saying if you want to correct what's going on in that specific context, and if we want to derive the higher principle from it, we should think about it in terms of uh, the problem of love and the tr- problem of prophecy. So the first thing is, whatever we think about how we manifest the spiritual gifts, we know that Paul's going to say that the primary thing that we need to measure the impl- uh, implementation of the gifts through is through that idea of self-giving love. But this idea of prophecy, I think, is really interesting too. It's another one of those things that <coughs> we've kind of let... People define for us instead of looking at how the people in the scripture would have defi- or defined it. Anybody know the Greek root, uh, root words for prophecy? That's really interesting. Pro. We know pro. What is pro? Like In front of or in advance. And then fate, which is to, to speak. So a lot of people interpret prophecy to mean talking about ev- events in front of them or in advance of them happening which is one nice interpretation of prophecy. But the way that Paul and and the folks in that context would have thought about it was something a little bit broader. It might have included that talking about something before or in advance of it happening. But it's an older word that the Greeks used that Paul would have read about in school that meant for someone to be a spokesperson for, to speak in front of or in place of. That if someone is a prophet, that person is speaking in front of or in place of the presence of God in a specific context, so that to say that you speak for prophecy is a way of saying that a person inspired by the Spirit is saying the words that God would have them say. And sometimes those words may talk about events or, that are in advance, but those words are always not about events that are yet to come. A person who is speaking as a prophet is speaking as a, in a specific office under the inspiration of Of the Holy Spirit, where they were giving or bringing words to, they are serving as a selfless spokesperson for the inspiration and the character of God. So when Paul's talking about prophecy here, it makes a lot more sense that what he's saying is not, you need to predict things in advance, for example, instead of speaking in tongues. He's saying that if you have the chance to speak inspired by the Spirit, do it in a way that builds up the church around you so that it's not just about what you say to God, but it's about what your words say to the church. Both speaking in tongues and speaking in prophecy are divinely Spirit-inspired gifts. The question is, One is of a greater status, Paul says, because it testifies to, and it speaks to, and most importantly, he says, it edifies the church. Prophecy is about occupying or speaking under the inspiration of God. And we should desire that, Paul says, the desire of our heart should be that, because we all want to be a person who uh, says the things that God wants us to say, but we want to do it in a way that maximizes the ability to grow the church. That's what Paul's saying here, verse 2 and 3. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. No one understands them. uh, They utter mysteries by the Spirit. This contrast in verse 2 and 3 doesn't make sense if we use the old definition of prophet. Think to predict the future instead of speaking in a tongue. But it makes perfect sense if we think about Paul asking us to be divine spokespeople, to ask the Spirit to inhabit us, and what? to breathe into us a breath that gives us words that are reflective of who God is and what God wants. That's the beautiful part. When we do that thing, we did a couple sermons back about the idea of spirit being breath instead of ghost. The idea that Paul was talking about the breath that was in the body of Christ, what he's saying is that the Spirit is breathing into each person who is given a gift and who works in behalf of and who is uh, subservient to and orients themselves towards God's purposes. And that breath is expressed through us to edify and to build up the church. And that is why, for Paul, love has to be the guiding impulse, because we could imagine all kinds of things coming out of the temptation to feel like you were the person who spoke for God. Believe me, if you're a person who gives sermons, it's really easy to say, well, I'm going to say something great that God laid out in my heart today, and look at how awesome I am. And it's very easy to run down the path where you understand yourself to be somehow special or better than another person who brings a word. And the point is, people who are speaking selflessly as spokespersons for God are doing so if they're inspired by the Spirit, not by their own edification, but for the edification of God's church. That's what Paul says in 4 and 5. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but one who prophesies, so one who speaks as a spokesperson for God, edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. This word that gets translated as edification, awesome. Totally awesome. It's a Greek word Duh. Okay, it's a Greek word, and that Greek word is oikodome, and it literally means to build a home. The word oikos is home, like same root, root, root word for economy. So one of the things Paul is asking us to do is to say, how is it that we are building up a home for ourselves and for the Spirit when we speak? How is it that we are building up the possibilities for the kingdom When we speak. And when you think about the question of love, you might ask yourself that question What is it that my words are building up? What is it that my way of talking makes or establishes for God and for God's people? How is it that when I speak, I aim at a common purpose that is the revelation of the Spirit and of God's purpose in the world? How is it when I speak, That instead of following the human desire to edify myself, I practice a vision of the love of Christ and the movement of the Spirit that is about building a home for all of us. How is it that we speak in a way that allows the Spirit to move? Speaking in tongues versus prophecy is an example that was pertinent to the Corinthian context. Paul wanted to rebuke them a little bit for running around speaking in tongues without thinking about the edification of the church. But the principle Paul wants us, I think, and the principle especially that I mentioned that we should take from this is the idea that any time that we speak, anytime we speak when we claim we're in a context where we are inspired by the Spirit of God, any where we do something that relates broadly to the question of spirituality, we always have this question to ask ourselves, which is, does the thing that I'm doing in the name of spirituality edify the church or does it edify me? I mean, we've talked about folks like this before. Don't you? I've known a bunch of folks who were like, took so much pride in their spiritual and their devotional life. Like, they made a big deal out of it. They only listened to Caleb. They only listened to the King, or they only read the Red Letter King James Version of the Bible, and basically they only read the Red Letters. And they did it at appointed times and in appointed places. And they did it. And like, the whole point of their spirituality was to say, here's a bunch of things that I am doing. And I've known a bunch of those people, not a lot of them, there's a lot of good people that do that, but I've known a bunch of those people that I felt like were so mean. You know, have you met people like that? Who's like, spirituality seemed to be so perfectly aligned and they made a big deal out of it, but, like, everything that they did was mean. I, I sat next to a guy on the, on the plane one time that was, like, clearly reading a scriptural commentary and clearly making a big deal out of the fact that he was reading a scriptural commentary and clearly talked in the most pious terms and I can't even remember what I asked him to do. Like, could you please take your elbow off the seat rest? And he was like, screw you, man. <laughs> you know, how many people is this notion of spirituality about building up something for themselves instead of building up something for the church? How, for how many people is the idea of their spirituality about building a home for or building up their own image and instead of, instead of building up the church and building up the practices of radical love, that we are asked to engage in. We all know people who are like that, who have put, I don't know, the kind of arid vision of their spiritual practice above the idea of being informed by and breathing in the love of the Spirit for the sake of transforming the world and building the kingdom. The point of one kind of spiritual practice is to build a home for yourself, but we are called through the Holy Spirit to breathe life into a whole community, to build a home for others, that's why it's greater to prophesy than it is to speak in tongues. It's the same God that inspires the act. It's the same God that breathes into them, but it is the purpose of love that is the difference. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul says in 6, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? I, I, you know, I took a little bit of time to break down that sentence, the four functions. It seems like perfect sermon fodder, doesn't it? The four functions of a word that aims at uh, edifying the church to uncover something, to demonstrate <clears throat> knowledge, to reveal the will and character of God, to teach in the nuts and bolts uh, the lessons of the faith, uh, uh, all the various functions there for something that is aimed at the Spirit. But the, 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 the one that I think is most important here is to talk about this idea of what is intelligible. If you have your Bible open or if you look at most versions of um, <clears throat> online Bibles that have a section title for this, the section title is intelligibility in worship. And most people understand it that way because they understand it to be about this problem that Paul had in the church in Corinth where everybody was speaking in an individual tongue and they weren't participating in broader corporate worship. But all the things Paul's saying here point towards the idea, and he uses this word, that we need to speak in words that are intelligible. And the the definition that he uses there for that, that word for intelligible word is you saymos, it literally means using a good sign or a good indicator. That the words that we say should be simple and aim at the truth that God wants us to make apparent to each other and to other people, they, when, they, when they get beyond that, it's very difficult for us to say that we aim at the truth, that we do anything about the truth, that Paul thinks that a good word is a word that is paired away, that is breathed by the Spirit that presents the truth simply and directly. Remember that stuff last week about banging a gong without love? That's what he's talking about here. How many times is it that we imagine that we might speak? And even if the speech is eloquent or the speech aims at an idea that might be good or it is intellectually stimulating, it can do any of those things, but it speaks into the air if it doesn't edify or build up the church. Undoubtedly, Paul says, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying. I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, Try and excel in those that build up the church. Think about the counterpoint there. We cannot be foreigners to one another. We cannot be people who do not share a common language, who do not share a common understanding, who do not share a common point of orientation. The measure of a spirit-breathed word is that it puts us together and orients us towards the world such that we might be turned in to something new and better that advances the kingdom. And the beautiful thing here is that for Paul, if he understands the spirit to be breath and that breath to be the movement of the body, then one of the measures of that movement of the body is that it starts to generate understanding. He says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Shall what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. This little passage is so beautiful because the word he uses consistently there for pray and sing is the old Hebrew word solo, like for psalm. And if you, if you look at how he does it, it's like this beautiful little poem. He says, I might solo with my mind. I might solo with my spirit. I might solo in the sense of sing to rejoice and to worship with my spirit, but at the same time, I should be doing it with my mind. It doesn't just mean understanding here in the sense of knowing, but the word here speaks to the part of your mind that makes calculations about things, that is rational. Paul is saying that in order for us to fully speak in a tongue that breathes the Spirit into us and unites us to others, that the whole of our person is to be a part of that. It's not just the part of us that is breath or spirit. It's also the part of us that knows things and that calculates things and reasons things. And he says that each of those capacities of ours can solo, can sing a praise of, worship to God or can solo, can pray from the depths of our spirit. And Paul is asking us that in building a house, we bring all of ourselves to the church so that we can bring all of us to the project of building the kingdom of God. And when we do that, when we build a home, I don't know what the home that we build will look like, but I know that if the spirit moves in it, that it will do exactly what God intends it to do for us and for our community. And so we are called to prophesy, to speak in God's name and by the inspiration of God. And we are called finally to do it, to get back to a theme that we have from six or seven times ago, with maturity. I want to point out, I think, for the fourth time in this series, that whenever Paul invokes the idea of the Spirit, the idea of maturity is not far behind. Because the child thinks about what is in their interest. The child thinks about what they want to do. The child, even as they grow, thinks about what they need to do before they get whatever they want to do to do the thing that is important to them. And the child only thinks things out in terms of the effect on them. But praise God as our children grow and mature. And as we grow and mature, we stop thinking exclusively about what something means for us. And we start thinking about what it means for all of us to do something. And Paul is saying that spirit-driven speech is the speech that aims not at advancing our own interests or the interests of our faction, but all of our interests so that we might build, we might edify, we might bring into an existence a church where the spirit can move. Amen.